Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I think. Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 105, and we're going to be interviewing Angie D. How are you today, Angie? I'm doing pretty good. All right. Did you click accept to record and all that? It didn't. It said got it. Like, it. it I don't. Okay. I don't know. And you clicked got it? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what it means. So let's get this started and dive in. Tell us about your childhood. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's a good one, right? <laughs> Well, I uh, was born in New York and my mother um, was a, she was a lady of the night. Um, and then I guess. What is she, that? Just so I'm clear. What do she you was mean? A pro- oh, she was a prostitute. I was being sarcastic. Yeah. She was <laughs> That's what I yeah. thought, but I wasn't sure. I, and I she had, you know, term. she had cocaine issues and things like that because, okay. you know, it goes with the job. So I guess, I don't know what made her move us all down to Florida. Um, but she did. And she ended up pairing up with my stepfather and he had three kids and they were all babies. Um, Donnie was two, Stormy was one and my brother, Jason was newborn. Um, yeah. And I kind of got thrown in headfirst into being a big sister, which I had never been. Um, so I, the abuse didn't start right away with my mother, like when I was little, I don't really remember her ever reprimanding me, but then there came a time where she, she just hated me. I mean, I, I, I had one of my cousins from my stepfather literally was in the house and just looking at my mother, I was reading a book on the same couch and, uh, my mother was just looking at me with disgust and, uh, she, she would reprimand me physically, like beating me, but also her abuse was verbal as well. Um, and not only did she beat me, but she would say, well, just wait until your dad gets home. And my stepdad would get home and she would tell him all these things that I didn't do. And of course I'd get in trouble again. So, um, I don't feel like us, me and my siblings were raised to process emotions was your dad physically abusive also? Not my bio dad, my stepfather. Yes. Yes, he was. He feels really bad about it. Now he's apologized, but I mean, the damage was done. So at least I got the apology so I could move past it with him. My mother never apologized. Never. She always blamed him. And, uh, she was, she was just awful. Um, I basically was a caregiver for all the siblings. I cooked, I cleaned, um, we lived on a farm. I'd feed the animals, muck out stalls. And it seemed like nothing I ever did was ever enough for my mother. Um, so I didn't really have a good relationship with her. 
And I ended up getting pregnant at 14, getting married at 15 and having her at 15. Uh, I don't know how that happened now, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, how did we even do that? But um, we did. And that marriage, child marriage lasted seven or six years. And I have a 28 year old daughter from that marriage. And uh, I was a kid. And so pretty much me and my daughter grew up together, but uh, I was also an alcoholic by the time I was a blackout alcoholic by the time I was 13. And I stopped drinking when I found out I was pregnant, of course. Um, not and how old were you again pregnant. when you were pregnant? I, I didn't hear before. I got pregnant at 14. Okay. So yeah, very, very young. Yeah. I had her at 15. I was married by 15. And uh, it wasn't easy. It was not easy for me to be a mother, an employee, daughter, everything. Um, so that was pretty much my childhood. We weren't taught to uh, process emotions. If we cried, it was, oh, keep crying and I'm going to give you something to cry about. If me and my siblings were playing in the house and if we laughed too loud, we were thrown out of the house all day. And we lived in West Palm Beach, Florida. So you already know it's like Africa hot. Like there was so much condensation in the air, like you could barely breathe. Um, drink water out of the hose. We got one meal a day summers were awful because at least we got to go to school Monday through Friday and get something to eat, you know, but the weekends and summer were awful. Like we were thrown out of the house pretty much every day. Um, I'm close with one of my brothers, just one. I love the other ones, but I just, we never really formed the same bond and he's right after me in age. Like he's my little brother, but he's all of the responsibilities that I had when I lived there fell on him. Um, I have a very good relationship with him. I talk to him daily, sometimes multiple times a day. And that's because of our childhood. We, I was a thief and a liar at, at a very young age. I was manipul manipulative, um, where whatever friend I could find to go and hang out at their house and eat snacks with them, I would do that, but I would never eat all the snacks. I would always save some for my brother and then we would climb this tree that we always climbed and I would give him snacks. And if I so happened to steal snacks from the house, our house, uh, like if they left something unlocked, I was stealing it. You know what I mean? And I would always check. Always. So the food, the food was locked up? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Snacks, mostly. Anything that was for my mom and dad, snack-wise, we didn't get snacks. They did. So I would steal like the canned Vienna sausages. My stepdad still loves them and a pack of Ritz crackers. And once I do that, I would look at my brother. I'm like, come on. And he would come with me and we'd climb the tree and we'd eat them together because we were literally starving. <laughs> like it was horrible. Um, I had tried to get some help from like DCF. Like I would talk to the counselor at school and then I would end up getting in trouble because they, they did nothing. What is DCF? Out. What's DCF? Uh, Department of Children and Family Services. Okay. So they would never take us away. Even though we all had bruises, we were all like hungry. Um, yeah, it, it was just, it was really hard. And then I started to develop uh, skills because I used to like to, to go out in like the woods and put up a tent for me and my brother. My other siblings never wanted to come, so... Me and my brother would. So I found like blackberry bushes and wild watermelon patches. 
and we would eat these things when they were in season, you know? So like we had to become like, we had to survive. We were in survival mode. We were feral, you know? And so me and that brother ended up, he left home too and got married at 15. He had his first kid, 15, same thing for him. Uh, I guess we figured if we started our own little family that it would turn out better. Well, it turned out good for him because he's not an alcoholic or an addict. I am. And my mental illness from the trauma that I suffered got worse. And so did my alcoholism, you know, at a very young age. And uh, like I said, the childhood was just not good. It can, it, it uh, contributed to the flashbacks and memories and things that I wanted to go away and I wanted to forget. And alcohol did that for me. It filled a hole that was inside of me. Alcohol and being tough worked for me for many years and it stopped working, but I developed that attitude at a very young age, 12, 13, you know, I was drinking by the time I was eight, I was, I would always steal wine out of, uh, my stepfather would get a case of Boone's farm, strawberry Hill wine. And I would always eight eight years old is really, really young. Yeah. And I steal alcohol. I, like I told you, I was a thief. I would steal it and I would put it in a plastic bag, bury it in the yard with the little handle sticking up out of the dirt. So I knew where to go at night when I would sneak out. Um, and I would sneak out. I had an aunt, which was my stepdad's sister. And when she was there, she would come with me, but usually I would walk and follow railroad tracks in the middle of the night. I I don't know how I didn't die or get kidnapped, but in the middle of the night, I would walk to a park. I would follow the train tracks to the park, go to the park and drink the wine and then stumble home. So eight years old is when that started. Had my first drink. I can't remember what I got for Christmas or my birthday, but I remember my first drink. I was four years old. And I was being a little sassy. I didn't want to go to bed. So my mom thought it would be a great idea to give me a sip of her coffee, which had Bailey's or rum or something in it. I drank, she goes, only take a sip. And I drank the whole thing. And then I spun around in circles. I felt warm and fuzzy. I remember the feeling. And then she put me to bed. And that, that was my, I remember it. Like, I will never forget it. Alcohol became my best friend. Eight years old, like I said, I would steal alcohol. Um, if they had beers or anything like that, steal those. You Is know, there a reason where were you depressed or was it just, to oh, be, very. or you were mischievous? I, I became <clears throat> mischievous because I, I guess it was better than being pitiful and crying. So I just, at a very young age was a manipulator. Like I, I knew how to steal. I knew how to lie. I knew how to do all those things, which makes up an alcoholic addict. You know what I mean? Like all of those qualities are something that most of us share, I guess. Like, I don't want to speak for everybody, but for me, the people I've met, it's pretty similar with all of them that they developed that manipulation and lying and bad habits very early on. So yeah. yeah. So for me, my childhood was not good. Doesn't sound like it. So you were at that point, drinking so young, did anyone other than your family take notice of this? No, no. Very well no. hidden. They threw us out of the house. <laughs> Nobody would see anything, you know, and I don't know. I, like I said, manipulator, I would run to the bathroom, take a shower, go to bed. 
and I could just enjoy that warm, fuzzy feeling that filled up that emptiness inside of me that where I had no structure. I had no structure. I had nothing. So being tough and getting drunk and being what I was filled that hole for many years. Like I did, I, I, I would steal from grocery stores after I had my daughter at 15 just to feed her. And I'm not saying I would steal like $80 steaks or anything or whatever. Like I'm talking like a pack of ramen, macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. Like I wouldn't, but I did what I needed to do to survive. I became a, a feral survivor and that was pretty much it. Yeah. My, and my, my one brother, he's got a very strong moral compass. So he was never able to be that way. So I always had to look out for him. You know what I mean? He, he's actually a very strong person to this day. Just, I, I, I love him, you know, like he's my kid, like, but he's older now. So it's, it's, mm. it's a really weird. That's why we talk every day. I love him. He can tell when I get mad and he shuts down immediately. Like when I get angry, he stops because I, I don't get angry with him. I love him. So, um, yeah, uh, basically very early on drinking and I knew how to hide it. It just, it was easy. Being so young, I guess you don't even realize that that's going to lead to something really destructive. I didn't then, but I I know now. Yeah, <laughs> everything. Hindsight's always now. twenty twenty, right? Yeah, I look back and I'm like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, at least it makes sense because before I just felt like a horrible person. I did. I felt like like the stealing and manipulating and just everything. Like I thought I was a bad person. I really did. So at a very young age, you had self-hatred. Yeah. Yeah. I hated myself, but I had to do what I had to do to survive. I didn't care. I did. I, I, I've uh, come to terms with the fact that like, I was really not raised. I grew up very feral, you know what I mean? Like, like a wild animal. And, uh, I used to love reading. That was a, another form of escape for me was reading because we weren't allowed to watch TV in the house with, when they were home, you know, yeah. what kind of stuff did you like to read? Dragons, anything about another world, anything nerd, nerd stuff. And McCaffrey <laughs> was my favorite. And then as I got older, uh, dark, sinister fantasy, like, uh, uh, Anne Rice, um, Erickson, just a bunch, a bunch of books. And I got to the point where I stopped like looking at the front, I would just flip the book around and read the, you know, introduction, like an introduction to what you'd be reading. If I liked that, I would read the book and I, I couldn't tell you the name of the book that I was reading. I would just dive right in, you know? Um, but Anne McCaffrey was my favorite actually. And the secret garden. And I always read books more than once. You know what I mean? Like I read them more and more because it was kind of like a little movie in my head. You know what I mean? Like in my head, it would be like, I could see characters in my head, you know? And I was diagnosed with depression at 12. Yeah. I was very early age, mental ill, mentally ill and an alcoholic, very early age. So you were diagnosed with depression. How did it feel? Because being so young, that must have been really, really hard because you don't really understand. At least when you're older, you can kind of say, 
this is depression. I need to take these steps to try and get better. When you're young, you just, did anyone take you to a therapist or anything like that? Or No, no. I went to one doctor that said I had depression and we went home and it didn't matter. Yeah. Nothing mattered. It didn't matter that I was suffering. Not to, not to them. None of that mattered. So you didn't get any medication or anything? No, no. not until I was 17. My ex-mother-in-law said that there was something wrong with me and she wanted, so she'd bring me to the therapist like twice a month, but I was such a good liar and such a good faker, you know, then it, it seemed like it wasn't even necessary because my attitude would change. I would change because my, my environment, I, I would have to talk about all these things. And at this time in my life, I was ashamed because I was a mother too. So I didn't want people to think I was weak, you know? So I had a two-year-old and I did, I didn't want people to think I was weak. I didn't want to be on medication. I would rather self-medicate, you know? Um, yeah, I just, uh, I think for about a year after a year of going to therapy, you know, that often, I just, it looked like everything was perfect again. Like I was working, I was good. You know, I was not sleeping and, you know, all the time and I was eating healthy and, I, I faked it. You know what I'm saying? Like every day was, I was putting on a mask every single day. I had to tough through it. And basically that's why I got, I got a dog too. So I could not isolate because I'm an isolator. Like I, I hold up in my room and my kids used to just spend time with me in my bedroom. That's it. That's how we would spend time together. They would come in my room while I was sleeping and just play until I woke up and quietly. They were good kids. I had great kids. I ended up having to send them away to like when uh, my mental health took a turn for the worst and uh, my alcoholism, I had to make a decision because I didn't want to put my kids in danger. And like, I was blacking out a lot. So I was really scared. And then I talked to my daughter's grandmother, my ex-mother-in-law, and she was like, well, just, you know, you might want to think about doing this and then getting yourself better. And then the kids come back. Once I sent the kids away, it was, there was nothing stopping me. Like I thought I was going to get better, but my alcoholism, I, I started using drugs, hard drugs so that I could continue drinking more. Um, yeah. What kind of drugs? Cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine. That was a big one for me. Yeah. It seems for a lot of people that drink that cocaine is another thing that goes along with it. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was drinking, that was the one thing I hope people had, you know, when we partied, I would do that, blow a couple lines in the bathroom at a club, go outside, go mingle. Yeah. That first beer, I was thinking, you know, what would go good with this, about a hundred dollars worth of cocaine. That would go great with this beer right now, because once I finish that pack of beer, I'm going to be drunk so I can snap out of it. I'll have the bag of Coke. So that was always hand in hand for me. Like, when I started to deteriorate and get worse. Yeah. So tell us about your adolescence. What was it like in school? Did you graduate? Well, I know you said at 14, you had your daughter. Did you finish school? Yeah. Well, I ended up finishing school when she went back to school and then I went to college. I didn't uh, graduate. I think I had like 12 credits left. um, And then I left school. Yeah. So I did finish high school. I got my GD, but then I went to college and I didn't finish college. So I like left like this much left 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I actually was really uh, doing well when I went to school and when I finished school and I was really proud of myself, but uh, alcohol always has a way of slipping right back in, you know? So those things didn't matter anymore. Being so young, did you ever at any point say, I have a problem and I need to get help? Or were you, I, I don't know if you were even mature enough to say that, you know what I mean? You were so young. I was never asking for help. I was too stubborn for that. Like, like I said, I didn't, I didn't like people that were raised in good family homes. That's how they, oh, I have a problem. I need help. I was raised different. Like I said, I was raised to only rely on myself because somebody would see you as weak. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to reach out and ask for help. I wanted to, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. So I would stop drinking for a while. I think I, I had six years at one point. Yeah. That was the longest stretch I had, I had went was six years without a program. I did it all by myself, but I was a miserable bitch, miserable, just awful. Never to my kids though. For some reason like that, that, you know, stigma didn't hit me. Like I, I, I wasn't abusive to my children, but I did have abuse because I was depressed and I wasn't taking care of my health. And in turn, the only time I would get up would be to cook for them. And I'd go back to bed, cook for them, tell them, come in my room, watch a movie, whatever. And they, like, I I was turning my kids into isolators. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the kind of abuse I was doing. Like they would see me. I'm sad. I'm in bed. I get up. They're hungry. Okay. I'll feed you. I I didn't hit my kids. Uh, Even when I was drunk. Oh God. It was, I, I think I read my, I made my daughter listen to me read. And she was like, you were slur. She's 28 now. She's like, you would slur. You stunk of alcohol. She's like, you were just like, I love you. And she's like, Oh, it was just, she goes, I don't, I cringe thinking of it. Like, you know, she, uh, she laughs about it now. So yeah, my oldest, uh, pretty much saw, you know, and retained like all of who I am, but she's not like me at all. Like nothing like me. I mean, she's strong and she's got a, a good moral compass. And that's all I wanted her to have all my kids. I wanted them to never think it was okay to hurt people or say nasty things or, you know, but we, we do that to each other. Like we ping pong insults back and forth and, and we think it's funny, but the way we act in public is totally different. We have like, we actually have manners, you know, (laughs) but when we're home, there's no manners. There's no manners at all. So when you were young and you were trying to make sure everyone's fed, did you uh, have a job? Yeah, I worked. What I was a doing? butcher. I was a butcher. I also uh, had a cleaning houses for Section 8 homes, which was so disgusting. Um, how, old, how old were you? Um, God, I did that from 19. And I also worked part-time at Subway as well. How did you support your child? Because you said you had the first one at 14. How did you support? I, I was it, was it a boy or a girl? Your first oh, daughter? A girl. Okay. Yeah, so I, start, I started working for a grocery store at, at 15. Okay. Yeah. And I would always leave. I would always leave a job if I was moving or whatever. I would always leave a job on respectful terms. Like, I, you know, I worked for Albertsons, uh, Winn-Dixie. 
and uh, Food Lion. I transferred from Food Lion up north. They were called Sweet Bay in Florida. Or Cash and Carry. Too. Yeah, they were called Cash and Carry for a while there, too. So you really, really had a lot on your plate at a very young age. Yeah, I had to pay all the bills, basically, to watch my kids sleep at night. I, I didn't get, and when I was home, like I said, I was depressed. Did you have your own place? Yeah. Yeah, of course. But when I started to, I started to burn out, like I would burn out, you know? How was it for you when you were depressed? What kind of symptoms do you get? Oh, God. Um, sleepy. Um, starving myself. Body dysmorphia. Um, wor- like feelings of worthlessness. Uh, night terrors. Um, a lot back then. I still have some of those symptoms now, actually. Um, basically the depression, the fatigue, night terrors, flashback memories, panic attacks, very early age, very early age. And then as an adult, I have medication now, so I don't suffer the way I did back then. And now because of the PTSD, my brain kind of dumps everything. So I have memory issues. Like I have severe memory issues. Like I can be hungry right now go in the kitchen and make myself a sandwich. Oh, I got to wash my hands, you know, cause I got mayonnaise or whatever. You know, I don't just like lick it off. I'll just go wash my hands, you know, and I'll totally forget. I'll like, I'll get sidetracked and then I'll totally forget that I was hungry. Totally forget that I made food and I'll come lay down, hmm. sit down. Yeah. And then when I figure it out, I'll go back. And by that time, the, the bread's stale and I'm throwing away my lunch. So, yeah. And now that I have good mental health care, I'm a lot different, actually. So, but back then it was, I was very, very depressed. And like I said, with the PTSD at a very early age, my brain would dump recent memories. Like somebody, I would meet someone and they'd be like, oh, hi, Angie. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Excuse my language, but that, oh, hi. You know, I would, like I said, fake it. I would fake everything. I was so fake, so fake. So if I remember somebody now, that means they left an impression on me. And that's pretty much how it is. If they leave no impression on me, if there's nothing that I can identify with, with myself, which is a selfish, I'm very selfish too. As a matter of fact, I'm very selfish. Um, If I can't identify with someone, then I don't remember them. They, yeah. Takes me a while. And I I always use the excuse, I'm better with faces than I am with names. No, I'm not. (laughs) No, I'm not. That's a lie. It's a big lie. So at what point in your life did you say, I'm doing too much coke, I'm drinking too much? I mean, did you even have it being so young? Did you even have a social life really? When I was younger? I mean, when you had children and you're 19, you're working full time and all that stuff. I had an apartment I was paying for, sir. I had no money. So if anybody wanted to hang, I have friends, but they were friends that smoked weed, drank, did drugs and like anything that made them come to my house and have something for me 
they could come to my house and hang out. My house was the chill spot, but they had to wait until my daughter went to sleep. So I was a mom from six in the morning to whenever she went to sleep at night. And then as soon as she went to sleep, I was a piece of shit. <laughs> like that's, that's how I felt. I'm, I would just start drinking and using drugs and then pass out. I, I think for God, well over a decade, I don't even think I ever slept. I think I just passed out drunk. Yeah. There was never like, Oh, I'm going to go to sleep. No, it was, why am I on the floor with the couch pillows on the floor? Like, why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for the most part, always made it to bed, but I know what you're talking about because I drank myself till I passed out every night. And until recently, until I got out of rehab, well, that's two years ago now, but I've realized how important sleep is because I hadn't really actually slept in well over 10 years, well over a decade. Yeah. Well over a decade for me too. When you think of, I, I saw a great saying, uh, it was a meme. It said, one time I misplaced the decade. It's so true. That's, That's good. what it felt uh, yeah. like. When that I came resonates. back. Yeah, that resonates with me. <laughs> yeah, when I come back or when I came back from rehab, I just felt clear. My body was clear of all poisons or whatever, and I was able to think better. I never did better. rehab. I did IOP. You did IOP. Yeah. What? But what? What got you into that? What? What was the reason? When was the first oh. time you? Did you ever at a point say, "I'm, I'm, it's too much. I can't handle it." All the time, but it didn't matter. Like it started to not matter. I mean, I didn't care if I was too much. People had to accept me at being too much. So I found friends that thought that I was funny. You know, that, that my antics and shenanigans when I was drunk was funny. Like I would wake up with bruises. I'm like, what happened? They're like, you fell like a million times. And I'm like, great. It's perfect. Um, I would get into fights, not remember, blackout fights, wake up, my jaw hurts, you know, somebody decked me <laughs> and I'm being dead ass on that. Wake up with like a ruptured blood vessel in my eye. Like my eye looked like it was bloody. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was very crazy. Um, chase people out of my house because my ex-husband was probably flirting and I, drunk me would protect me from that crap you know drunk me would fight I knocked I, I knocked six of his teeth out of his mouth really? hitting it. yeah I still have the scars on my knuckles yeah every time he brushes his teeth he thinks about me I'm sure oh god <laughs> he's got a permanent bridge <laughs> it's awful yeah I did a lot of things and that's not me. Like, it, it's so funny that I talk about it because sometimes I feel like it was somebody else living my life. Like, is this person, this person right here, me, I'm a sh- everything I did. I'm like, but when I, one drink, one, the first one, I am instant, like all of that shit melts away. Like all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my disgusted feelings, gone gone and then this new persona takes over and I'm like the best thing ever in my opinion like just nothing mattered the minute I took a drink yeah 
at a very young age, <laughs> very young age. I was like that. So what drove you to IOP? I had went to get a, one, a friend of mine, she was dope sick and she was calling me all day and she wanted to borrow money. And I'm like, I'll go get it for you. You know, you don't have to worry about it. So I went to her guy. I got her a Suboxone. It would have been cheaper to get her heroin, but thank God I didn't get her heroin because I got pulled over and I had the Suboxone. The police confiscated the Suboxone. They didn't arrest me right then. They told me that the state's attorney would pick up charges and the state's attorney did. I had, I was facing five years in prison, but I had to complete a IOP program for 12 months and I would be on probation for 18 months. So that's what got me help and got me into AA and got me into a program where I learned about why I act the way I act because of the trauma that I have. And I learned that I had PTSD, not just depression. I had PTSD, BPD, general social anxiety disorder. I had a lot of problems and they called them concurring disorders because it was on top of addiction because the addiction was like a totally different egg from the mental illness egg. Like they were I've, two different entities. Yes. I've and written I'm about sure. that. It's called, yeah. it's also called co- uh, comorbidity. Um, like you said, it's just when you have two things going on at once. Yeah. I had a lot of mental illness and I had a lot of addiction issues lots. And I did not see myself because I worked and I would go to work drunk. I didn't care. I'd go to work drunk all the time. I would just do a bump and go to work. Hmm. That's how it was. Um, so what was IOP like? Oh, it was in the beginning. It was so frustrating. And, uh, I just was not, my ego was so huge. I was so defensive. I, withheld like I omitted things that's the way I like to lie as well like by omission like you can ask me a question I'll just walk past you like I don't answer hello you can tell me I'm not talking to you like that that was my response I'm not talking to you I don't feel like talking right now and they forced it was kind of like they drug it out of me you know what I mean like everything that I was feeling and I had to pee twice a week I had to drop urine twice a week. So there was no balancing, you know, my addiction with their rotation of your, your analysis. You called the number, they gave you a color. If it was your color, you had to go pee. And there was no, like, cause you need at least three or four days. So there was no way that I could balance it out, you know, like where I could actively use and then not piss dirty. And also if you ever pee out of range, like if you flood your system with water, which is something that I did for my probation, but never for them. Like, I don't know why, like if I went to probation because I still would drink and stuff. So I would just flood my system with water and probation. They didn't care, but IOP, if you came up out of range, they took a hair sample and they would know everything that you had done for the past six months. So there was really like, I don't know. I just never peed out of range for them. They never had a UA for me that was out of range, but for probation, if I had drank, um, like say I peed all week and I didn't have to pee. Like if I had to pee on Friday, it was like, okay, I can go drink now today. 
and then drink tomorrow and then just let, you know what I'm saying? Give myself two days. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, str- I struggled with that in the beginning. Like it really, I was faking it to make it. They were like, fake it to make it. I had friends tell me that. And I'm like, how the fuck am I going to fake it to make it? Like, like I can't even see a good window of opportunity. And sometimes I didn't give a shit about the window of opportunity. You know, um, it got so bad. Like my drug court evaluator says, if you don't make it at this program, you're going to prison. Like he said that to me, he's like, you're going to prison. And I was like, Ooh, maybe I should take this more serious. And I was forging all of my AA papers that they give you to turn in. Oh, like to say you actually went there. Yeah, I was forging them. I was, I was having people sign their name and I, I went to a, a couple of meetings and I cried and I clicked with it, but I didn't want to go. So I'd have my friends sign the paper for me. Yeah. And uh, I, I was just, I was a liar. Like I said, liar, manipulator, thief. I mean, I was all those things for a long time. And I think whenever I realized, you know, that my mom had suffered trauma, like they helped me realize that. And then that's why she was so abusive to me. Um, I didn't forgive her, but like, I understood, you know what I mean? I understood, but there was no forgiveness there. I was like, fuck you. You're a grown ass woman. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't have had kids if you didn't want kids. Um, or give me to my dad or something. You know what I mean? She just, yeah. yeah. I, w- I was a paycheck, basically. Because she got AFDC, which is Aid for Dependent Children in Florida. For me. What is it called? AFDC. It was AIDS. Aid, AIDS. It was Aid for Dependent Children. Aid okay. for Dependent. Like my mom would get a certain allotted amount of money and food stamps. And that's how, like, that's why she didn't let me go with my dad I was a paycheck so yeah and she let me know that she also because I'm mixed like my dad's Puerto Rican and my mom is German my mom used to tell me I was lucky that I came out white enough she used to tell me that I because if I would have came out looking more Hispanic she would have probably given me up for adoption she was she would say these things to me yeah and she could have at any point left me with my dad. Anytime. She could have just left me with my dad. Because he wanted me. She didn't want me. He wanted me. So did he but ever like try said, and get custody? Married. Did he ever try and get custody of you? They were never married and she didn't put him on my birth certificate and he couldn't find her. He he yeah, no, he couldn't find her. She went to Florida and she told everybody that if they told him where she was, she'd never talk to them again. Like she threatened people, you know, like my grandfather, grandmother, godmother. And she, we never went back to New York ever. So at what point did you start taking IOP seriously? Was there anything that led to you? Yeah, when, when they kind the- of... When I got the understanding of why my mom was so abusive and I understood, I started to look at the program a little differently and maybe that they were right about other things that I needed to look at. And I started to like really cry 
Cause like, I don't think I cried for years. I didn't cry for years. I didn't cry. Like, nothing, I, like I said, nothing really mattered. So, and I didn't hurt my kids. I, 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 I spanked her one time, my 28 year old. And I ended up throwing up because I felt like a bully. Yeah. And were like three smacks on her ass. And I, I got sick. And then she's patting my back, telling me it's okay. Cause she did a bad thing. I was like, I'm never going to hit you again. I told her, I said, you'll never have to worry about me hitting you again, baby girl. Cause I can't do it. I said, but if you do something stupid and you do something that I need to reprimand you for, I will, your toys, you will, you'll have nothing. I was like, cause that's the only way I can punish you. I can't, I can't hit you. So she was a good girl. She was very good. She was a very good kid. My other kids are good too. How did you actually get sober? What happened after IOP or during IOP? When did you finally, because I know. Like when, I said, went into, when I went into AA and the same women that were there my first time there were still there. And since I already knew them, I kind of gravitated towards them. And one woman, oh my God, she was a nightmare. She, like my sponsor, my first sponsor, holy shit. She was I, it was the kind of love I needed though, because I was such an abused person. Like I needed somebody that was going to be honest, assertive, you know what I'm saying? Forceful, even like, she was like, you're going to, right when I had 90 days, she handed me a key. She's like, you have noon on Thursday. That's your meeting noon on Thursday. You're chairing it. I was like, what, 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 I don't even, what? She's like, you've been to enough meetings, you know, I was because I used to live in the meeting place too. Like there was so many meetings per day there. And I would, I would go to any and all of them when I, when it first started, like, like I said, when they made me realize that, you know, that I might have a problem and that I might need to think about taking care of it. And aren't you getting anything from AA is what they asked. Do you have a sponsor yet? I'm like, no, you know, I couldn't fake it anymore. They were starting to see through my forged paper. So I really, I finally started taking it seriously. And then I did the steps and like, like realizing my part and everything too. Like I was just, it was just jarring for me. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, ugh. you mean when, you did, when you did the fourth step and see, yes, I was like, ugh. and I broke in, you know, like I just, I hurt people. I lie and that's where I discovered I'm a liar I'm this I'm that I used to look at it like I've been the truth I'm not really that bad I was horrible I'm and and this woman like dragged everything out of me too like she it was I needed the people that were doing these things like I like I believe that I needed them you know what I mean like to help me understand I turned that 12 month program that IOP into a 16 month program because I didn't want to leave because I was scared once I graduated, I was going to go right back to the way my miserable life was before I was terrified, terrified. And that's where I really, I'm telling you, I really honed in on AA and they became family. You know what I mean? They, and I ran that meeting. I made coffee. I took out trash. I cleaned the bathroom. You know, I swept the floors. I did everything. Sometimes I wouldn't even close up because there was a five o'clock meeting and I would do the noon meeting. So for like three or four hours, whoever came and saw the door open, we'd play Uno or play cards or dominoes and uh, yeah, just anything. I just didn't want to be in my, I, you know, I just didn't want to be by myself. 
anymore. Like I, I don't, I don't really know when that switch went off because I still isolate to this day. But when I was in Tampa in that first program, I didn't want to be by myself, but I was surrounded by all these people that I felt so comfortable with. And I still felt lonely. And that, and that was something that I had to struggle with. Like knowing that I was so lonely inside, even being around people that I cared about. It was like, wow, why do I feel like this? And my sponsor's like, you're not putting alcohol in you anymore. You're feeling the good thing is you can feel the bad thing is you can feel. I was like, like, she said it to me. Like I should have just known. I'm like, what, what is that? What are you talking about? And, you know, she just explained it to me. She's like, you're finally starting to detox from what you've done to yourself for so many years. It's finally stopping. Like you're, you're not going to have that full feeling anymore. You're going to have to fill it with good things and not just, you know, so then I started taking my nieces to park. I mean, I would take them downtown. I I started doing fun things. So when I started doing those things and I had to do one hospital stay because it, the, that empty feeling really got me. And my brother's like, I'm taking you to the hospital because you look like you want to kill yourself. He's like, I don't even know why you're crying right now. So he took me to the hospital and I stayed for three weeks in the hospital. And then when I came out, you know, I was on medication, but of course me being bipolar, I started feeling better. So I stopped taking the meds. Um, It wasn't until I got here to Jersey that I realized that I had to do the mental health. And even if I was feeling better, I couldn't stop taking the medications because I had so many excuses. I was like, you're, these are going to have side effects. And what if you're just getting addicted to these things? And, you know, so there was all kinds of excuses rushing around in my brain because that's what my disease does. It confuses me, makes me think, oh, you know, alcohol would be better because you'll calm down. One shot, you'll be calm. You'll be good. Just one. No, I never, I didn't relapse when I was in Tampa at all. It wasn't until I got here to Jersey. I went to one meeting here and I wasn't on any mental health help. And I just started drinking about three months after I decided to never go to meetings here because I didn't like the people. It was a perfect escape I needed to to do what I wanted to do, what my disease wanted me to do as well. You know what I mean? So I ran for about two and a half years. And then finally, I resented my ex because he wanted to get sober. And he, he was the one who told me if you ever try to get sober, or if you ever want me to get sober, we're breaking up. And I was like, perfect. Cause I wanted to do drugs and drink until I died. So he is the one reason why I came back this time. And I'm still here trying my best Progre- progress, not perfection. You know? Exactly. That's all anyone can do is try. Yeah. So tell us about being sober now. How's life now that you're sober? Well, relationships are still a bit fickle. Friendships are good, but like, uh, I don't know. I need to, I need to stay away for a while from relationships, like romantic relationships. I'm a better friend than I am. And I I can't, Um, I am closer with my family. I have a humongous network, including Addicts Anonymous and AA, I have a ton of people that I talk to on a daily basis 
you know what I mean? Like I talk to them every day, uh, at least either from my network or from this network of people. I, I talk to somebody. There's never a day that goes by that I can't have somebody that I relate to and I can talk to about mental health and drugs and alcohol and they can relate. Like it feels so good to not feel alone in that struggle, especially when I'm having a hard day. You know, it's not like I want to rush out to the liquor store every time I have a bad day, but I do, I have people to call, you know what I mean? And if I don't make that call, then there's going to be another day. I don't make that call and then another day. And then I might become so far gone and isolate myself so badly that I can slip up. And I, I, I'm just not going to accept that now. I, I mean, I have lost two thirds of my life to drugs and alcohol. My, my relationship with my kids I'm going to probably be working on repairing that for the rest of my life because they're going to be asking questions and they're going to want answers and I'm going to have to give it to them. You know what I mean? So I have to be the person that I am today, the person that wants to grow and the person that wants to stay, stay, stay sober and stay mentally healthy, you know, self-care. I take care of myself. I eat properly. I I'm doing I'm doing a lot of things that regard my health and my recovery is so important to that as well, because I can't do all these good things and not be sober because I won't care. And that's what one drink would do to me. I wouldn't care anymore. And I, I want to care. Like I actually, I feel full now instead of empty. I feel full because I know that I can call anybody. And they can identify with what I'm going through that day. Like to have that is miraculous because when I first came and I always say the meeting, the newcomers, they're my miracles because they show me that you can come back, you know, you can, but it's easier to stay than come back. And they survived, they survived their ODs. They survived everything. And they're still right there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, you guys make me happy. When I see the newcomer, like I love beginners meetings and I like speaker meetings because they fill me up and I have to maintain at least a, a one meeting a day. And if I can't do a meeting a day, I'm doing a commitment. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't just let my day get away from me. You know, oh, where, where did the time go? No, that doesn't happen. I, I set alarms on my phone to let me know when I have to go to a meeting and if my meeting doesn't conflict with a commitment, then I'm perfect. Then I'm getting two things that are super. So like, I kind of, you know, I'm addicted to, to recovering, you know what I mean? So that's a good addiction. Like I, I want, I always want to grow as a person because the more I grow, the better I feel for some reason, that's what's been happening to me. Like the happiness that they said I would feel I'm starting to feel. And I didn't think it was possible when I first came into this program, I, I, I thought I was a hopeless, helpless case. Like I was just going to be a miserable, see you next Tuesday for the rest of my life. Mm. And you know what I mean? Like I, I was thinking like, I, I don't make friends like this. You know what I'm saying? Like it was hard for me, but once I started and I started meeting people and I started talking to people and doing something every day, and not letting my mental health get away from me, maintaining my mental health. Like the program became so much more precious to me, not just for my recovery, but for my mental health as well. Because I always feel like I have somebody 
that's going to be able to talk to me or even text me and be like, Hey, what's going on? You know, like, what are you doing? How are you feeling right now? You know, they, they say those things. Like, I don't have to say, Oh, well, you know, my day is kind of crappy. I don't have to say they're already wondering, Hey, what's your day like today? What are you doing? You want to go grab coffee? I'm like, sure. I can love coffee. I don't have to make it. So that's great. Um, today, the promises that they tell you in AA, like I haven't really had a chance to dive into this program as much as I have AA, but I'm as dedicated. Like I really want to learn more. And so for me, it's progress, not perfection. So this is just another, like another thing in my life that's going to require me to grow as a person, to accept it. You know what I mean? Like to help. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just, it's just another form of growth to have another program and have AA as well. Like I have both and I like both. Both has been very good for me, not stifling. So, you know, I, and I don't feel like I'm burnt out. I feel like I hung out with a friend, you know what I mean? It's not like, it's, it's not like a job. It is a job, but it's not like a job. Understood. constant. It's constant. And, uh, you know, I may not hit the floor, like people say, like, because I'm, I believe in spiritual energy. I don't, you know, the God thing for me is energy. You guys, like you and people that I've met in the groups, that's my energy. Like I feed off of their vibes. Um, God isn't Santa Claus and God doesn't have to be a man with a beard in the sky waiting for me to dance in his clouds. You know, I mean, I believe everything is energy and we're all connected. So everything that happens is important. So even if it's bad, like me getting dumped twice in a month, like that's, that's something that should have happened. I'm glad it did because it taught me that I'm not ready. You know what I mean? So there's always a lesson to be learned. Yeah, there is progress. I, I like that. I can, I can constantly do something different to progress and get better. And yep. better. I wonder Absolutely. how, I wonder how many people I can help one day with just sharing with them and talking to them. I have hope and I never had that before. I'm very happy for you. That sounds great. So let me ask you one last question. I ask everybody this. What advice do you have for anybody watching or listening? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, If you make it to the rooms, stay. If you make it to a program that makes you feel comfortable and you can identify with anything, stay. Because it's so much easier to stay than it is to come back. And sometimes those overwhelming feelings that you failed, you didn't fail. Progress, not perfection. You're, You're progressing. And if you... If you go back out and you relapse, it's not the end of the world. Relapse is a part of my recovery too. Relapse is a part of my story. So never feel like you're so helpless or hopeless like I felt. Like just try to wash those feelings away by surrounding yourself with a program that's going to work for you and get what you need out of it. Don't try to take everything, you know, take little bits at a time. Don't bite off more than you can chew. 
a lot of people try to dive into like really head first and hey because you have plenty of time to do the steps again you know just get them knocked out the first time you know work on the major things and you know you have time you have time now because you're sober you're not going to od you're not going to die of liver failure you're 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 working on yourself you know what i mean even if you are facing those things work on yourself you don't know how many people have gotten healthy by just staying off of alcohol and drugs and you can change everything by doing that that's it and that's it that's it thank you so much for coming and doing the podcast today how do you feel good it feels great it feels really great yeah i told you it'd be fun yeah it is it was fun thank you all right so now it's time for my sales pitch for everybody watching and listening if you like what you heard go below and give us a like also subscribe to the channel so you'll see when we upload new videos you can see us on reddit twitter instagram tiktok and on our facebook page there is some information as well as our facebook group so i suggest you join both And I want to thank everyone for watching and listening. And until next time.